Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. God, we need you. (laughs) We beseech you, Lord. We fervently and urgently ask for your presence. We ask for you to be here, Lord. There is nothing that we will ever do, have done, that has been done without you, Heavenly Father. From beginning to end, from the time that we took our first breath to the time that we will take our last breath, Heavenly Father, you're in all of it. And I pray that we walk as a people who knows that and believes in that and, and, and wants to step into that this morning. But Heavenly Father, teach us, continue to teach us how to approach your throne, how to talk to you, how to just simply have a conversation with you, Heavenly Father, because that's important. You want us to know how to do that. This morning, Lord, our hearts cry out for you. Our hearts are trying to have a conversation with you. And Lord, if there's anything in there that's stopping that, I pray that you would break that in Jesus' name. Break it in Jesus' name. The chains would be broken this morning in Jesus' name. God, we need your spirit in this room. So we won't take a step until you stay, until you take a step, until you say go. But in the meantime, Lord, we are going to learn about your heart. We're going to learn about your character. We're going to pray from the word of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated this morning. I hope everybody's doing all right. Interesting Sunday without without football, but hey, we'll we'll get through. <laughs> um, so for those of you who are who haven't been here before, those of you who have, you guys kind of know how I like to do stuff. A little recap on how we've gotten to this point, but we're in the Book of Nehemiah. Um, the Lord is doing some great things through this book with us, and we're in the in the midst of learning about number one the seriousness about uh, of prayer but also the effectiveness of it. And when we pray from the word of God, our prayers become more effective. Not that God doesn't hear you when you pray. That's not what I'm talking about. What we see through Nehemiah is that the way this man prays is there's some things in there that happen that if you look at other prayers in the Bible, there's some, there's some attributes that if we follow those, it teaches us how to approach the throne. It teaches us how to speak to God. If we don't know, well then, do we have it in us to try to find out? Does that make sense? So Nehemiah is like a, it's a great um, structure. It gives us some structure when it comes to speaking to the Lord. The Lord says, come as you are and give me all of your stuff. He, he says that. That's paraphrasing, obviously. <laughs> but he wants you to just come as you are. But as you approach the throne. As I approach my earthly dad, as I approach Beck, certain people, I know them because I've spent time with them. So I know how to present things to that person. It's the same thing with the Lord. If you know him, you'll know how to approach him because you spent time with him. Nehemiah is that man. He spent time with God enough to know that, look, this is, this is how I got to do it. This is how the Lord shows us how to do it. I made a few comments a couple of weeks ago that the Lord will do a work in you before he does a work through you. That's what he's doing with Nehemiah. He's doing a work in him before he puts his hands to building this wall and um, influence these people in Jerusalem to do the same. Then last week I said our most effective prayers come from the promises of God. 
And where do his promises come from? They come from the word. So in order to pray effectively from his promises, we got to know the word of God, to pray from the word of God. So prayer in the word, if we're building with the basics, hey, that's what we got to build with. Not only here, but in your personal life. And if you want to have breakthrough this morning, all I'm going to say is let's pray scripture this morning. Beck said something that I love. That was it was a word that came when we were praying as men up in the second floor that this should be a place where we can practice certain things. When you go out into your social environment, you, the workforce, that's your arena. That's your playing field. But where are you going to practice? Where are you going to get admonished and, and, and built up and encouraged to go do this stuff? It should be right here. It should be the stuff that we do throughout the week. So what I want to do is encourage you guys, let's practice. Let's pray the word of God this morning. But I gave you last week this acronym. Um, and that came from, uh, the, the acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S. And this is in conjunction with, connection with, if you don't know how to pray and have never jumped into learning, here's a good place to start. Here's a structure for it. ACTS, A-C-T-S. That first one is adoration. The second one is confession. Uh, the third one is thanksgiving. And the last one is supplication. As we look through prayers in the word, we can see those components. I will never ever tell you guys you have to start with adoration. I won't say that. Or you have to start with confession or thanksgiving or supplication. What we're saying is that here, here is this thing called prayer. Let's lift this thing up and see what's underneath it. What makes prayer go? What makes your prayers effective? Because sometimes you come in and you're like, man, Lord, I just got to confess. You know, or something happens to you and you throw your hands up in the air and you're just thanking them all day long. That's OK. It's not like that's not going to get heard if you don't start with adoration and confession. So I just want to make sure that you guys know that here are the attributes. Here are some characteristics of prayer, some things that we can implement that they're all kind of mushed together. But in order for us to remember, them, hey, acts is a good acronym, right? Amen. So we're coming out of just one verse today. And I told you guys a couple weeks ago that it might take us a while to get through this prayer. My goodness. So, hey, the Lord is, is saying uh, that's probably going to be the case. We're only looking at Nehemiah 1, verse 5. Um, and I'm going to read this real quick. It says, I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Now let me say this before we look at this word adoration. I gave you acts. Now we're going to kind of blow each one of these up and see why Nehemiah started with adoring the Lord. Because that's what this verse is. It's adoration. But I need everybody in here to realize the unchangeable unchangeableness of the God that you pray to. Realize that if you want breakthrough, you have to understand the unchangeable, unchangeableness of the God that you serve. You may have to like slow down and think about that a little bit. It's a little weird. But he has a nature. He has an unchangeable nature. Unchangeableness. That in and of itself, regardless of how you feel, never changes. It's unchangeable which I love, 
couple of weeks ago, I said, hey, you need to pray. We saw Nehemiah praying before he was praying. I want you to pray about praying before you pray the prayer I need you to pray. That's basically what he was doing. Same thing. The Lord, we have to realize, excuse me, the unchangeable, unchangeableness of the one you are praying to. So let's, are you guys with me up until this point? All right, I like the nod, the head nod, that's good. Sometimes I ask that and it's like one person in the back and it's Jerry because he's been here forever. It's like, yes, amen. No matter what I say, I can get Jerry to say amen. (laughs) With his word, adoration, just a simple Webster definition of adoration means a deep love and a deep respect. So if we get that verse 5 up there. Now, if I'm going to adore God, what what I'm going to do is I'm going to show when I approach him from the get-go. A deep love for who he is, but also a deep respect for what he's capable of doing. Now, when I when I come from that first, it totally and completely changes my perspective and what comes out of my mouth when I pray to him. Because if I got a massive amount of respect for my earthly father, I don't just bust in the door just, you know, saying whatever I want to say. There's a way to approach each other. Why? Because that shows that we honor one another. So here's, here's the second part of this. Do you honor him when you talk to him? Do you have a deep love for him and deep respect enough to honor and just adore him? The second part of that, of this Webster definition, which I don't like to use these that often, is it means to worship. <laughs> what do we do on a Sunday morning? We start with worship, right? So that we can cut through the flesh. Our worship team, I always tell them, look, guys, you're the tip of the sword. You're the first organized group that anybody sees. When they come through the, the front door that's connected to ESS. And our job as a worship team is to get through the flesh so that we can let the word come through. That's what worship does. It takes you off of you. All right? When I adore the Lord in my prayer, it gets me off of me. So now I can start praying correctly. When I adore the Lord, it returns me to this one thing. When I confess, it turns me to this one thing. When I give thanksgiving, it returns me to this one thing, which allows me to supplicate from a place of this one thing. And that one thing, ladies and gentlemen, is the fear of God. If we don't pray from a place where we fear him, I'm just saying our prayers might be less effective. Adoration puts you in a place where you fear him first. And he sees that as honoring, so he's going to honor us. So how does, how does he begin? How does Nehemiah begin with his adoration towards God? He says, he said, I beseech, I beseech you. Now, again, the definition of this is, it says, beseech means to fervently and urgently ask someone to do something. Okay, when I come from a place where I'm adoring God and I fear him, Nehemiah is saying, I fervently and urgently ask you to do something. All right? Now, what I love about that is he doesn't demand anything of God in that one word. He's just saying, look, I need you to move here. Move however it is that you want to move. Move according to your will. Move according to your characteristics. Move your character. Move according to who you are. He just says, I beseech you. 
I urgently and fervently ask you to do something. Not I fervently and urgently ask you to make sure that when I pull up to this stoplight, it's green so that I can go zooming through it. And if it's red, I might just beep. Okay, that's a really weird analogy. All right. But all of what I'm saying is that there's no expectation placed on the backside of that. He opens up the door and says, be God in my life. So are you, are you catching me when he says that? But he does it fervently, and he does it urgently. So it doesn't mean that you can't be passionate about it. I beseech you, Lord, to just be you in my life. I love that. And then he says, O Lord, God of heaven. Now, this God of heaven, but heaven, I want to say this, in, in the media, in music, in entertainment, movies heaven is taken out of context it's put in a place where it's this mystical thing and it's not really put in its rightful place where we see the awesomeness of it in lyrics you know in songs oh you were sent to me from the heavens above and then four bars later they're talking about being in the club it's like okay those those don't match you have no idea what heaven is about yes it's as christians it's our destination it is the it, right? We got a guy in the back, Alec Bailey, who's our evangelist, and that is his heart, to add seats to the kingdom. But let me make this point. If you can, really quick, turn to Revelation 4.8. And I love how the Lord works because I, I don't really... At the end of the week, when I have this message prepared, I don't really give it to much of our staff or um, the people who, you know, work with us. We have a Tuesday morning staff, and uh, we put this, this stuff out and just say, hey, what's, what's God doing? Well, I get to the end of putting this message together, and some of these guys don't know that. And, and Beck kind of prayed this this morning, which tells me that the Lord is working in this morning. Um, Revelation 4.8 says... And this is, if you guys get a chance to get to the Wednesday night Bible study, opening up Revelation is unbelievable. There's so much in there, it's ridiculous. I'll always say that about the Word, but how the Word connects with the Word, man, God is real. It says, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. That is also in Isaiah 6, verse 3. And you know what they're referring to? Angels in heaven who do nothing but sing holy, holy, holy. So let me say this. If heaven is the end result, heaven's not even it. Because in heaven, they're still glorifying God. Do you guys catch me when I say that? If you have that perspective, he says, he says, God of heaven. I don't want us to think that heaven is not important. It is because we have an evangelist. We are supposed to evangelize. But evangelism isn't the end result. Even when you evangelize and you walk in the gates of heaven, it is still about God. Because the angels are even singing, holy, holy, holy. So when he says God of heaven with fear in his heart, reverence, He's urgently and fervently asking for the Lord to do something according to his character. His character is that he is God over all of it. Amen? See, 
We are what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We're only ten words in. Sometimes you feel like, hey, I got to pray for 30 minutes to get to this point. This boy is ten words in. And he's already to a place where he's adored the Lord, given him his, and spoken to him about his character, which, like I said last week, tethers you in your emotions to the word of God and brings your emotions down. You got to tether yourself to the promises of the Lord. Amen. And then we get the, the, the next couple words. It says the great and awesome God. <laughs> so there's this phrase that lots of people use in the church that I'm not too keen on. I just, you know, it's whatever. People say God is good. And the congregation is supposed to say all the time. And then all the time, God is good, right? It's good. But I think he's more than good. I really do. I think when we say God is good, it's kind of like, I'm not going to commit all the way. Because there might be a situation that rubs me the wrong way, and I'm not in that moment going to say, no, he's the greatest because I don't feel good. That's kind of how we think about it in the moment, whether we verbalize that or not. But God is great, amen? He is more than good in your life. I'm a CSU played football at CSU, coach high school track, see athletes all the time, get into heated conversations with certain people about sports. <laughs> and we have conversations about what's the difference between a good athlete and a great athlete. Well, a good athlete shows up when they're supposed to, does the majority of what you ask them to do, and is like 95% in. A good athlete, we have athletes that... In the heat of the moment, they rise to the occasion, or they may not. A good athlete, sometimes there's practice athletes who are amazing in practice. <laughs> it's like, as a coach, you're like, yes, okay, let's translate this to the court field, whatever, right? And then it's like, total fail. <laughs> they get out there, and it's like, oh my goodness, performance anxiety. Well, then you got athletes who don't do anything in practice. But when the time comes for them to perform, they're gamers, let, let me let me just – well, let me say this before I, I get to this next point. A great athlete, the fruit of what they do is revealed in any arena, in any moment, no matter what is happening on that clock, whether they're down or up, being getting beat by 50 or winning by 50. They always show up. They take the time to prepare nine times out of, the, out of ten – they're on top. They come out on top nine times out of ten. It's the difference between a good athlete and a great athlete. They're consistent from the beginning to the end. Well, let me say this. From the beginning of time, the reason why he's saying you're a great, not just a good, a great and awesome God. From the beginning of time up until now, the Lord in every situation where the chips have been stacked against him. Down by one with one second left. Up by 50. Down by 50. Doesn't matter what it is. The For eternity, he is undefeated. Think about that. Not nine times out of ten. Not 23 out of 25. Not, you know, whatever with that percentage. He's undefeated. In your life, he's undefeated. 
that that means he's a great God. Amen. He's not just good. He has showed up every time, in time, on time. There's not one time that he has not shown up when he was supposed to. You got to grab a hold of that. That's why I, I feel like we got to get away from the Lord, from us approaching the Lord and saying, Lord, you're so good. You are, but you are great because you've never missed it. <laughs> I want to pray from that standpoint. I want to pray from that perspective. I'm sorry we're kind of going super slow through this, but I just I got to get through all this. And I only got about 10 minutes left. You guys trucking with me up until this point? He's great because he always shows up. Now, Nehemiah, if we pause right there at that comma, prayed with, uh, he prayed with that heart. Uh, but again, we're only a few words in. <laughs> and uh, the next part of this is he's, he spoke to God about who he was in that those first few words. Now the narrative changes. He speaks to God about what he does. So he spends time adoring the Lord, giving him his respect, letting his heart go back to the fear of the Lord so that he can pray correctly. He has the right perspective. We can see because of the words that come out of his mouth and the depth in those words. But now he starts to speak about what he does. God, comma, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, this is something that he does, that God does. He preserves. And what does he preserve? He preserves a couple of things. He preserves the covenant. He preserves loving kindness. But it also says that he he preserves those things for a specific posture of heart. He preserves those things for a heart that loves him and a heart that keeps his commandments. Let's turn to Hebrews Six. This is the cross-reference for today. And it'll help you understand not only the title, but the back half of this verse. Now, we're going to start in, in verse 13. I would encourage you, if you get a point, if you get a chance, to read from verse 9 all the way through the end of the chapter. But today, our cross-reference is only from verse 13 to verse 18. And it says, for when God made the promise, and this, again, this is the cross-reference for this verse. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely, be, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, Abraham having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Verse 16, for men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation, as in, is an end of every dispute. This is great. Verse 17, in the same way, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose. The unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible, it is impossible for God to lie. Who we have taken refuge 
would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. Man, he desires for us to experience. Why? Because we're his heirs, his unchangeable purpose. That's his desire. Now, see, if I'm on my knees praying for something that fervently and urgently I'm going after it, why not pray that? Lord, you desire me to experience your unchangeableness. I want to experience it now. You know what that does? You pray scripture, but then you open up the door to let the Lord do what he's going to do. There's no demand. There's no expectations of saying it has to happen this way. The only expectation you should have is that he fulfills who he says he's going to, who he is, what he's going to do. Amen? See, the back half of the verse, uh, let's go back to Nehemiah 5. One, verse 5, excuse me. Who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. It's interesting that Nehemiah, when he, in this first verse of the, the prayer, he doesn't begin to speak about his shortcomings or the shortcomings of Jerusalem. He doesn't say, I beseech you, Lord, and I know that Jerusalem messed up. I know that this city lies in ruins, and I know that it's unbelievably a a huge daunting task to go and do what you've asked me to do. He says this, the back half of this verse. To me, I always ask myself, why? Why does he do that? Well, what he's doing is he's, he's speaking to God's character in the sense that why did Jerusalem get sent into exile anyway? Because they didn't keep this commandment. They didn't um, love him and keep his commandments. Therefore, the preservation of the covenant and the loving kindness of God was not necessarily for them in that moment. But what he's saying is that I want to speak about this situation from the goodness of your character and not the negativity of the situation that is naturally seen in Jerusalem. So let me ask you this question. Do you pray from the promise, or do you pray from the rubble? He's praying from the promise. He's not praying from the rubble. If he prayed from the rubble, it would be something that the Lord would have to walk him through and help him understand more of Christ's character, and it's more of a process. But when you start praying from the perspective of who God is, it changes your mind on the rubble. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot pray from the rubble. We cannot pray from our circumstance that is crushing us. Because I'm pretty sure in in, in Nehemiah's emotional state, it had been very easy to just, Lord, this is too much. Look at it. He would speak back to God. Look at all these things that are stacked up against me right now. He doesn't say that. He says this. You're a God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. What he's saying is, I'm going to love you. And what you have preserved for me because of that is your loving kindness. And the covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. Are you guys chucking with me this morning? I want so bad for us to just be a... A powerful church who prays 
but not sounding like a noisy gong or a rushing river just praying things because it's cool to fill up the moment with as many words as we possibly can (laughs) sometimes you listen to people and i'm not judging anybody in here i'm not saying this about anyone in this room please hear me when i say that but you listen and at the end you wonder what was even said i will say that the word pierces the heart when somebody prays the word it won't only break whatever is in the room but it will pierce your heart as well and that's what we hang on to we hang on to the promises <laughs> the things that pierce our heart so i'm just going to ask you guys to realize the unchangeable unchangeableness of the god that you serve and we see that he keeps his word from the beginning of time up until now and everything in between he is undefeated in keeping his word he has a whatever and O record pray from that standpoint pray that part of the word because your rubble is insignificant it's it's i don't want to make light of it but let's let's compare it to who god is not even close not even close So how do we get into this? How do we practice this? Well, there's a way that you can do it on Sunday morning. But honestly, last Sunday we prayed for 60 seconds as a group. And then you left. I think there's like 168 hours in a week or something like that. 30 seconds out of that week, are we going to practice then? No, it's not about that. You literally have to get on your knees, open up the word, And let that infiltrate your heart. Once it does that, you start praying those things. You don't even know it. Stuff just starts coming out. You're like, oh my goodness, here we go. I'm praying the word. You got to get that stuff in you. We, as a church, let's pray this. Lord, we need a building. We know that you're a covenant-keeping God. And that you preserve your covenant and your loving kindness for those who love you. So as a church, let's step into loving him. And let him do the rest. It, it, for me, guys, I hope it, it does this for you. It makes prayer so much easier. Because you simply surrender. Get yourself out of the way. And let God be God in your life. Amen? Hey, come on now. I'm like ready to bust out the tunnel. Okay? Let's go get the fog and everything. I don't even know, know what we're running to. We're just running out into the middle of prospect. And like, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> So yeah, when you realize the unchangeable, unchangeableness of who God is, you no longer pray from the lens of your daunting rubble, but you begin to pray from the lens of who he is and what he's capable of doing because he promised. And like it says in Hebrews 6, he cannot lie. He can't do it. So I hope that is encouraging to you guys this morning. That is all on the the coattails of adoration. What that does, simply just adoring God. Showing him that you love him. Showing him that you respect him. Can I get the uh, worship team to come back up and get ready for our offering? I'll keep saying this. You don't have to start with adoration. You don't have to, it doesn't have to 
you know, confession doesn't have to come after that. Thanksgiving doesn't have to come after that. Okay, it's a good structure. But if we lift adoration up and see what's underneath it, everything that was, was preached today, everything that the Lord allowed me to say this morning comes from one thing. <laughs> the fear of God. Do you fear him? Do you fear him enough to come to him correctly? Ask yourself that question every day. Ask, that self ask yourself that question before every decision that you make. Am I showing that I fear God in this? <laughs> it, hopefully it gets to the point where you're like, am I showing that I fear God before I drink out of this drinking fountain? Like, be that meticulous with it. Not only with the big things, but the little things. It may sound weird, but I'm just trying to encourage you guys to make it 100% of, of your life, 100% of your prayer life. Before you even get on your knees, Lord, help me fear you before I pray. Amen? Let's come up here. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, you guys can stand your feet as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this offering. Lord, as we step into this time, Lord, we know that we have needs. We know that you are our provider and that you meet our needs. Underneath all of it, Lord, we fear you because your word says that you are the provider. And we have to partake in that promise in order to reap the benefits of that promise. <laughs> so, Lord, thank you for providing for us. Bless what gets put in the plate so we can bless you in Jesus' name.